Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Wynn Campbell and Molly Voorhees from Beck's Prime coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's a market manager for Liquid Alchemist, a craft spirits company, and a beverage consultant who has worked with a number of successful bars and restaurants. We follow her on Instagram at klindahtx. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. I'm living my best life. I'm so glad to hear that. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Bobby Hugel announced that the Pastry War, the downtown Agave Bar, will close October 30th. Linda, you worked at the Pastry War several years ago. Are you are you sad that it's closing? Do you have any memories of the pastry war that you want to share? You know, honestly, I'm a little devastated. It has been such a beacon for agave enthusiasts. And, you know, Bobby got a lot of, you know, Bobby got a lot of pushback uh, from, you know, bigger brands because he didn't he didn't focus on them. I remember I was, I worked there the first, you know, year or so that, that they were open and people were like, why don't you carry Casamigos? Why don't you carry Don Julio? Why don't you carry, you know, and that's just not what he focused on. He focused on smaller producers, families, and people that, you know, supported little families, you know, that do really, really great agave. I went this weekend, you know, and I snuck in and I was just like, I can't believe it's over. You know, it's like when, you know, they, they close down your like favorite ice cream shop that they make everything in house and so on and so forth, you know, but I, I mean, I don't know why they would close such a beacon for agave, you know, and I, I, I mean, one of the things that I did see that, you know, Bobby posted uh, about the closure is, is that it is not the, it is not his last time in agave. Um, that's definitely not the reason why, you know, that it's just like, it's not going to work. Um, I don't really know why they're closing, but um, I'm, I am sad to, to see it go. Yeah, I mean, Bobby said in the Instagram post essentially that, you know, business is way off and that they were facing a pricing lease renewal. And with, you know, the timing of when downtown is going to come back, maybe still a little bit uncertain and that there was you know, maybe not wanting to invest those financial resources into a lease renewal, but, but also that, you know, he and Justin, you have been pretty honest about wanting to open a second location of better luck tomorrow. And he sort of hit it at another project that they want to do. And, and so I think, you know, the reason it's closing is because they have other opportunities. Bobby has other opportunities he wants to pursue. And that doesn't involve plowing a bunch of money into pastry war to keep it going waiting for the business to come back you know when it was shut down for yeah so yeah i'm just it just it makes me a little sad but it looks like we've got a couple of other agave contenders coming into market so uh at least there is a a hope that we can try our favorite mezcal satols and any create any other wacky agave varietal that comes into market so there there's hope for us nerds out there well, and, and certainly I was sort of thinking about that. It isn't that, I mean, there have always there have been restaurants that have 
you know, kind of prioritize Mexican spirits, right? Like Hugo's had a, a good tequila selection, Ochi. you know, Pico's right. Right. Well, I even, right. And, you know, Pico's kind of back in the day, you know, El Gran Malo, which became El Big Bad, like they were all kind of doing it, but nobody did it quite like Bobby history mm-hmm. war. And, and I think the big thing is something you already said, and, and I'm just, I'm going to repeat it for emphasis, but, but rejecting those big brands, we're not going to have Don Julio. We're not going to have Patron, you know, we're not going to have Cuervo. It's going to be mostly, you know, traditional practices, family owned distilleries, and, and to a great extent, like places he had been, which I just think is, is so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are sort of agave forward concepts and uh, certainly, you know, Grease Monkey, the new project from the Monkey's Tail folks, I think will be really interesting. And and the and and the move and also I mean also Cayones they just closed and it's going to reopen and I'm sure they have a lot of nice little agaves that we're going to end up seeing for the next concept. Yes, Chivas. Yes, Chivas. I think that will be good. All right, let us move on to topic number two. Speaking of Chivas, it is part of Night Moves Hospitality. They announced that they are they have taken over Live Oak Grill, a bar in the Spring Branch area. Uh, and they also announced that they have parted ways with Lyle Bento, who is the chef that, you know, helped them get off the ground. He helped them open Space Cowboy, their hotel bar, and also Trash Trash Panda Panda Drinking, Drinking Club, Club <laughs> their patio bar in uh, the north side. Uh, Linda, I mean, you know, we had Greg and Lyle on the show. Uh, sorry, Greg Perez, the, the owner, the, the partner of Night Moves Hospitality. Uh, and Lyle Bento on the show a while ago, you you had a hand in kind of bringing them together. Do you have any insight, maybe in the in the kind of what this means for Night Moves now that Lyle's moving on to a new project? Absolutely not. I don't have any idea. <laughs> I just <laughs> I am literally just the connector. That is what I do. That is literally this should be another little line on my on my card that says just the connector. I'm going to point you that way or this way or whatever, but I'm, I don't know. No, I mean, um, Lyle is known to open up some really great concepts and I'm sure there's that he's got a new project coming, coming down the road. We've seen him move, move around a few different times, but it's always for a, a good move, you know? So I'm really excited to see what, what, the new concept from Kayonza is. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see what happens with Chivo's, you know, chef Thomas Billy, who was at belly of the beast is going to lead the kitchen there. So that was never really a Lyle project. Mm-hmm. So that is not really affected by this. And I mean, I don't know that much about live Oak grill. It's on Hempstead road. It's got a big, you know, it's got a bunch of big Oak trees. They're going to do comfort food and be open for lunch and dinner every day. And, and, you know, I think if you if you live in Spring Branch, Lazy Brook, Tibber Grove, any of that, like this is a nice addition to your uh, drinking and dining mix. But yeah, I don't I don't know that I have that much to say about Live Oak Grill. Mm-hmm. Well, that well that that part of town is is getting is getting more places to eat and drink, which I think that it's it's very welcomed in that in that area. It's been a lot of chains, a lot of couple of little ethnic mom and pops, but like doing like a big, a big patio bar or even just another eatery uh, for people that live out there, I think is a great idea. 
Oh, no. And, you know, I've been to Nopo Cafe a couple of times, Ben Berg's new spot. It's always been, every time I've gone, it's been busy. You know, our friends, uh, Emmanuel Chavez behind Tatamo is opening nearby there in the coming months. So, you know, yes, that, that kind of spring branch corridor is kind of the next dining neighborhood as we sort of move West and, you know, certainly shoot the moon and the new Fijis are out there and, it's a, it's a very dynamic area right now. Yeah. All right. And then topic number three, speaking of uh, restaurants that are going to have a, an agave selection, let's talk about maize or maize, uh, the new Mexican restaurant that is coming to the former BB Italia Carmelo's space on Memorial Drive in the Energy Corridor. Uh, I think this is really interesting. Chef Fabian Saldana worked at Mark's. He was an executive chef at Sochi. He's going to be making like all kinds of traditional Mexican food with a big Mexican spirits program behind him. And Mark Cox, who was the chef and owner of Mark's and Carmelo Mara, who was the owner of Carmelo's are his partners kind of advising him on getting this off the ground. I say all that to say to you, what do you think? Is this, uh, is this what West Houston needs is a, is an ambitious, interior Mexican restaurant? I just think that Houstonians are really finicky about their Mexican. It's either Tex-Mex or inexpensive. And I think that there's definitely a need, um, a want for it. But I think that if you're going to be doing like a regional upscale Mexican, you really have to bring the noise. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of families and homes out there that I think would would do would would really like a more upscale spot over there. I would just want to see what that really is going to feel like. I know that there's been a little pushback in other parts of town that have tried to do like bigger, fancier, regional, you know, Mexican food, and, and it always is like, well, "Where's my queso? I need a basket of chips." You know what I mean? And so. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that that part of town is definitely growing. I mean, remember when Jonathan Zarub opened up out there, like out West and, you know, there was, there wasn't anything like it in that area and they just blew up. I mean, I think that, that, that there's a, there's a possibility for that to happen to this concept, but you have to bring really great, obviously really great food, great ambiance and more than anything, um, spirits and cocktails and developed thoughtful programming to come up with this food. Cause I think that's what I, I see that lacks the lacks, uh, or that's more, most needed is bring all of the noise with it, you know, cocktails and service. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I read that Memorial area eats Facebook group. It's a very active conversation. And they, they want to try new places and they've embraced new restaurants. They've been, you know, KP's Kitchen opened up out there. They've been big supporters. They like somewhat unusual restaurants. They're supporters of, you know, places like Izakaya Wa and Bistro 555. So, you know, it's not just, they don't want cookie cutter. They want independent. They want local. And, and I think you're right. I think if they kind of get this stuff right, Mays will be in a really nice position 
and having Carmelo, who knows the neighborhood, being involved, and having Mark Cox, who knows a lot about, you know, executing food at a high level and delivering good service. I think that's all to the good. I think that those are the elements necessary to make a restaurant like this a success. Yeah, and I mean, and I think that I think that ten years ago, you know, even having at this level. Uh, dining and cocktails and all that stuff, you know, 10 years ago in West Houston, people would have been like, what? No, that's crazy. But people are thirsty for really good cocktails and they want really good food and service. So, yeah. And they don't necessarily want to have to drive all the way inside the loop to get it. Right. Yep. They like, they like Hugo's, they like Caracol, but they don't, you know, they've been going to those places. They don't want to have to drive. They, they want it in their neighborhood. So, all right. Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. I am very pleased to welcome a new sponsor to the show. It is Balconis Distilling. This is a Texas-based maker of spirits, one of the most decorated craft distilleries on the planet. They make single malt whiskey, which is part of this American single malt movement that has been happening. My personal favorite Balconis expression is their flagship Texas One, a single malt. It's got a very dark color. It's got a very rich flavor. It's silky. It's full on the palate. You get notes of butter and marmalade, and then it finishes with those lovely burnt sugar notes, that coffee toffee flavor. You know, I like I like bourbon, I like whiskey, I like scotch from all around the world, but but I find that this Balconis Texas Single Malt really just satisfies all of my cravings. And so I encourage people to look for it, look for it on back bars, look for it on stores. I drink it neat. If you want to add a little water, that wakes it up a little bit. If you prefer to cool it down over a big rock, I, I respect that too. But I think the important thing to know about Balconis is that if you try it, I think you'll like it. Look for it at bars, look for it at retail, and give Balconis Distilling a try. Linda, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Winnie's. Winnie's? Yes. The new bar and pool boy shop in Midtown. I had Graham Laborde and Benji Mason, two of the owners, on a few weeks ago. But we haven't talked about it as a dining experience. So, Linda, let me put it to you. What do you think of Winnie's? Man, they're going to be a problem for me. <laughs> Winnie's is going to be a problem. Explain what you mean. They're literally four blocks from my house. And they have delicious snacks and cocktails, really good cocktails. It's, um, it's going to be a problem for me. They open at noon and their cocktails, they have a cocktail list that's $5 from 12 to 5. $5 cocktails. And then delicious sandwiches, problem. This is going to be a problem, y'all. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I We live pretty close to each other. So Winnie's is also very close to where I live and I've been uh, four or five times already. Yeah, yeah. And I went for lunch last week and had two $5 cocktails 
in a fried shrimp and oyster po' boy. And I spent 30 bucks plus tip and left pretty happy about the world and my place in it. Yeah. And I, and I find myself going back, you know, that braised bacon BLT that they, 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 then they panko crust and fry the bacon. Yeah. And it's got that milk bread. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a problem. It's a fantastic, <laughs> it's a fantastic sandwich. Uh, I like the fried pickled okra. You know, the, the gumbo is the same from the Bernadine's days. It's, it's got a dark roux. It's got a good texture. Very delicious. Uh, yeah, no, this is, this checks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, they're open a little bit later. I mean, I drove in on Friday and I, I did not get into town until 11, you know, 1030. Um, and I'm glad that they were open that, but I needed that, like that last hour that everyone's already closed. I needed them. So popped in, had a sherry mojito, basically sherry, like it's ridiculous. Um, had a little, little cocktail, and uh, headed headed on home, like from my drive to Dallas. So um, they've got uh, Garrett from Johnny's Goldbrick manning the cocktail, the cocktail side of things. So fantastic cocktails. They have a couple of things on draft. Tina Marie from 93 Till is the GM there. And she's got a really good eye for service. So, you know, everything's, everything's you know, on the up and up. And then you've got these monsters in the kitchen that are just, pumping out really great food. So yeah. Um, I give this, uh, I give this a hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have to ask you if you go back because you've gone back multiple times. Yeah, I know it's a problem. It's a problem. Uh, and I have also gone back multiple times and they still have some things they want to roll out on the menu. They haven't done their roasted oysters yet. There's a fried chicken crunch wrap sandwich that is like kind of their, version of the the Popeyes like fried chicken wrap that they still want to do. So, you know, as good as the menu is, I think it's going to get better. And they're already, you know, they have a mushroom sandwich on there for vegetarians. They have really a a really delicious Caesar salad with that, the anchovy chili crisp thing that they're making. I, you know, it's a smart riff on a very, very familiar dish. I like how creative it is. I like how affordable it is. Uh, you know, I don't love paying to park in that garage, but it, that's, I accept that as the price of eating that. You know, it's just, so I've just got to swoop around the neighborhood and, you know, just like anything else, you got to pay the price, buddy. Yes. All right. I'm going to say that does it for our restaurant of the week. Linda, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks so much. And I will be right back with Wynn Campbell and Molly Voorhees. I am joined this week by two of the people behind Bex Prime, Wynn Campbell. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Molly Voorhees, thanks for being here. Thanks for, for having us, Eric. We're excited to be here. Well, let me, let me start with you. I, I, I have this sense that maybe the, the restaurant landscape and the burger landscape in particular was very different when you started Bex Prime in 1985. So maybe just kind of start at the beginning with 
what what kind of motivated you to establish Bex Prime? Because there there weren't really, I, I mean, I was just a kid, but I don't remember a dedicated burger restaurant that wasn't like fast food. Uh, I don't think there was one. So so in 1958, I started working in a restaurant in Dallas called Golf's. I was 14 years old. And uh, actually, my first day at work, I was a trash compactor. Uh, back then, they didn't have compactors. So I was sent out at 10 at night every night to climb up into the dumpster and jump up and down on the garbage. Uh, but subsequent to that, I actually became a prep and a cook and a cashier and a manager. And I took the, the, I took the place of the other managers in the summer when they took their two-week vacations. I rotated from location to location. So I was always kind of fascinated by the restaurant business. And uh, my former law firm, Wood Campbell, Moody & Gibbs, uh, disbanded in the fall, early fall, September of 1983. And I'd always, always wanted to open a restaurant. And so I decided that was the time to do it. Uh, started thinking about opening Beck's, knew I needed someone else to run it with an idea of having multiple locations. And so I called a friend of mine who had actually worked with me at Golf's, a fellow named Lewis Hallwig, who was an industrial psychologist that specialized in the hospitality industry. So I told Lewis this story and he said, okay, if I run across anybody, he was doing work for Brinker and McDonald's and everybody you can imagine, I'll, I'll let, I'll send them your way. So that was in September in May uh, of 84, Lewis called me and said, I've got a guy you ought to talk to. He's right there in Houston. He's been managing nine steak and ales uh, with 400 employees. Uh, and he wants to uh, do his own thing. His name's Mike Knapp. So I called Mike Knapp. Met him in May of 85, made a deal with him in May of 86, and, uh, or August of 85, and in May of 86, or summer of 86, we opened the first Becks there on Kirby. Uh, and I was never a trash compactor there. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I got to say, a, a story that includes a guy who ran nine steak and nails is about the most 80s restaurant story I think I've ever heard. Most of the restaurateurs in the business today that that are out there, most of them started at steak and ale. Yeah, no, I I believe it. But maybe maybe just talk a little bit about kind of putting the restaurant together because you know cooking over wood fire and fresh cut fries and and all these little details that are pretty have become kind of standards now were pretty revolutionary back then. Well, the place I worked, a butcher came in every morning and actually butchered a side of chuck. We cooked over, in fact, royal oak charcoal. I peeled potatoes and cut fries. We don't peel our potatoes. Uh, so this fellow was doing it back in, actually before 58. He opened in 1954, and he was one of a kind. And there's actually still a golf's open in Dallas. Now, that said, I would tell you that that. Our products, we start with fresher, better ingredients than Goff's did. Uh, we turn over our inventory, I think, probably about every 36 hours. So th there's really very little waste and almost no spoilage, probably no spoilage. Uh, 
that helps us keep the product good. And of course, I'm sure you're aware that if you're going to do a great job in the restaurant business, you've got to like to eat, right? And I've always liked to eat. So at that time, the only restaurant on Kirby that's been there longer than we have is the House of Pies. There was a shell station at, at where West Avenue is. Johnny Caraba's location was an adult bookstore. Uh, we actually bought a lease that was a restaurant called Zeke's. We bulldozed that restaurant and built our building, which Molly is now working on remodeling at the moment. Uh, we've been there 36 years. We just signed a 40-year renewal of that lease that was effective January 1st of this year. Uh, so I like to eat, going back to that. Uh, so I sat down and kind of wrote the hamburger, hot dog, french fry menu. Molly and her brother and Mike Knapp's daughter, Julie, who's our director of HR, uh, we all tested milkshake mix over on Alabama at Lane Equipment Company. We, and I can tell you that, that our milkshakes are like 14% butterfat. I mean, the label says they're more than 10%, but it's incredible. I mean, they are real ice cream. A lot of these places can't actually call their milkshakes ice cream. So we're, we're actually butchering 40, 50 pound chuck roast, grinding and patty in the meat and cooking over mesquite. Um, costs more money to do it that way. Uh, so you have to charge a little more for your product. But uh, we've held up now for a long time and we plan to keep doing that. Molly came in. So Molly was nine years old when we started this. Right. Uh, and, and I suppose I should clarify for the audience. Molly is your daughter. Yes. That's correct. We, and he just gave away how old I am, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I've been keeping oh, that a yeah. mystery. But yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, when you go back to the roots and you know, we all look fondly on that that shake day. I mean, testing shakes. We didn't we didn't really understand at the time what Mike and Wynn were trying to create. But from my sort of looking back, I mean, they really invented fast casual, you know, walk up to the counter and, and get an amazing chicken sandwich or hot dog or burger steak sandwich. I mean, all of those things were on our original menu. They cost less. Um, but one of my favorite stories is, you know, they added a garden salad and then, you know, one of my dad's friends and investors said, Hey, can I get chicken on that salad? Um, you know, and the chicken garden salad was born. Um, at Bex Prime. I mean, this was 25 years, 30 years ago when that happened. And, uh, you know, I think they were very creative and open and then really willing to do whatever it took to maintain the quality um, and maintain flavor. Like there's, I've never experienced the last 14 years that I've worked there where we said, we'd rather compromise our quality and keep our prices low versus just going ahead and raising our prices to deal with what's happening in the market. And that's always a tough thing to do because people like to eat inexpensive food, especially when they're on the go. So, you know, that's kind of looking back um, for me, I, I just remember kind of being a kid and being like, this is strange. What's my dad doing? And, and it was, you know, from there just to, ton of fun to watch um as i grew up and 
I think even sort of making the case to people in, you know, 1985 or 1990 that you, you know, if you pay, you know, maybe $3 more a hamburger than whatever Whataburger was charging, you know, it's an infinitely better quality product. I just, I don't know that that was like an obvious thing to do back then, but, but obviously it's worked. And, and I mean, I was telling you before we started recording, I mean, I, you know, I started at St. John's in seventh grade in 1990. So that's how old I am. And, you know, I remember that's when I started eating at Beck's Pie because it was close to school. And, and I, I want to say that we went, my family went for dinner before my first uh, varsity football game against Kincaid, which I think was the only time we won in my six years of going to school there. The only time we beat Kincaid, but so I have, you know, an almost uh, what is that like a 30 plus year relationship with this restaurant now? Well, I'll tell you something funny, Eric, is that, um, we've catered at least one, one of the St. John's or Kincaid side of that football game, you know, big family community dinners. And I, you know, Kincaid calls us religiously early, uh, to have us cater their, their event. And it sort of always kills me a little bit when we can't do both. And I'm like, I'm on, I'm, you know, the wrong side is supporting us, especially, I mean, those, you know, we have a restaurant in the Tanglewood Galleria area and, you know, obviously our one on Kirby. So we do get a ton of supporters from St. John's and um, part of that community for sure. So let me actually ask you about kind of your journey because you, you know, you went to school on the East Coast and then you went and got involved in the tech world after college. Did you always know you were coming back to Bex or, or when did that seem like the right choice for you? You know, I, I was in tech uh, for about six years and went to business school. And it was really at that point when I started thinking about what do I want to do when I really grow up? And it became very apparent to me that not everyone, you know, gets rich in the tech industry and you can work a hundred hours a week and there's no, there's no guarantees and there's no guarantees in any business. But what I really started thinking about that moment was I really wanted to care about the product um, and whatever I was selling and doing every day. I like to eat too. So that was, you know, I finish a meal and start thinking about the next one. Um, and so I wanted, I started thinking about, okay, what do I care about? What do I want to grow? What's important to me? And I just kept coming back to, I'm so proud of what Bex Prime does and what it's meant to this city. And it was really right before business school that I started talking to, you know, my dad and his partner about, Hey, what are you going to do with Bex prime? And, and they sort of took the, you know, had the opinion of, well, if you want to come back and run it and grow it, you know, we're all in and we'll, we'll be, you know, supporters and, and we're in for growing it as well. And so that became just a really fun moment for me. And in between my two years of business school, I came back to Houston and I, went through all of the training. I started as a busser. I was a cashier. I was a prep. I was a cook. Um, and then I went through the manager training and I really loved being a prep because it's like building something and sending it out in every moment that you're really proud of. So, um, that was just an important summer for me where I really fell in love with 
you know, what a restaurant does and people come in and they're happy and maybe it's the best part of their day. You know, it's coming to visit us and having one of our wonderful people greet them. And, you know, we've, I mean, we have employees that have worked with us, I mean, for 35 years and that's so rewarding. I mean, they knew me as a kid and our customers know them. I mean, some of our teammates, you know, they get a phone call and they know what the customer, they know who it is and what they want to eat. You know, that's, that's what we're, we bring to, you know, that connection and food is, you know, many people enjoy food, <laughs> especially if they eat it best, you know, you have to, you have to love a quality product and not just be eating to survive. When, let me, let me shift the focus back to you just a little bit. Um, how would you say kind of the restaurant has evolved over time because, you know, now obviously there are all kinds of similar restaurants in your category. You know, do you, do you kind of study that competition? Do you take lessons from them or, or do you just kind of stay focused on doing what you do? Well, we, we look at what the other restaurants are doing, the competitors, uh, candidly, I don't think any of them are doing it as well as we do or at the level of quality that we provide. Uh, I'm trying to think, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know that, that uh, I think Levi good cooks on mesquite there on Kirby and is one hamburger restaurant, but, but even there, once you get your burger, you got to go out and put it together yourself and, and he doesn't have the variety of sauces and toppings and things we do. And, and the truth is he's focused on, the barbecue business and the seafood business and, and the Mexican food business. So, so that's fine, but I don't know that anybody else is cooking over mesquite. And, and one of the issues with mesquite that people don't realize is to cook over a wood fire, you have to have a, a totally set separate exhaust system under the fire code. So, so the cost of just building the kitchen is several tens of thousands of dollars higher it's more difficult to clean. You have to clean the, the ducts more frequently to protect, uh, prevent fires. Uh, when I worked at the, at the place in Dallas, they didn't clean it at all. And I can tell you every once in a while, uh, even though they were cooking over oak charcoal, the chimney would light up and, and shoot flames 30, 40 feet in the air. Uh, but, but it was a single location remote from everything nearby and so it just would burn all the grease out of the chimney and that wouldn't happen again for about six months uh so that's, and that's cheaper than hiring someone to clean it i guess oh definitely i mean we have people come every month okay and steam clean them uh you know and we had burgers and you could not get back then boneless skinless never frozen chicken breasts but as soon as we could convert to that from frozen breasts to fresh breasts we did that uh, you know uh, we've we've changed the equipment that makes the hamburger patties to a, a piece of equipment that costs several thousand dollars but it doesn't compact it quite as tightly so that it's it's more tender and cooks differently over the mesquite uh, along the way every step and we're doing that in every restaurant you know, so, so, and we had a garden salad. The world has changed. We had French fries. We now have seven salads. We now have sweet potato fries, Parmesan, 
truffle fries. Uh, you have a veggie burger. You oh, have yeah, we got, steaks. We got, so we got guacamole. Molly's brother will go in there with his two kids and and eat two orders of queso with the burgers. Uh, you know, I mean, we just got things we didn't have back in the beginning. It was simpler. It's much more complicated, truthfully, than most of the the other fast food places. If we're a fast food place at all, I'm not sure we are. One of my favorite stories, I was on the deck one day and there was a, a husband and wife there with a little girl who was probably about five years old. And and little girl and her mom were sitting out on the Kirby side of the deck and I happened to be at a table nearby and the dad had gone in and ordered the food. Well, he came back after he ordered the food with a tray with the drinks on it. And he sat down at the table with the little girl and, and her mom with the drinks. And the little girl said, Dad, where's the food? And, and her dad said, well, they're cooking it. Because she was used to going into other places where it was cooked three hours ago and they just handed it to her. So, so he explained to her that we were cooking everything to order, that the meat wasn't on the grill until until you place the order and so it was not sitting around for a while waiting for you to come pick it up but uh yeah molly let me ask you about that too uh, you know you see regional national players kind of come into the market you know whether a top dotty or in and out or shake shack i mean do you do you look at them as competition do you take lessons from them i mean or how do you sort of how do you sort of assess, you know, each time, each time some new burger hotshot thinks Houston is a, is a growth opportunity for them. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end, we're always taking lots of lessons from what everyone's doing, whether or not it's, you know, one of our best Italian restaurants in town, Carabas or a new one, or, you know, we're always looking at what are the chairs like? What are they doing? What are the uniforms? What, you know, we're always taking um lessons i think every even from restaurants or retail stores and there's always a lot to learn that we can bring back i think one of the things for bex is that um what we're doing in the kitchen is so hard uh when you're cooking food from scratch that fast and trying to get it out of drive through window that i think other um restaurateurs out there or, you know, concepts that come into the market that, you know, they're getting burgers and maybe chicken sandwich out the door. And so they don't have the breadth of menu because it's so difficult. And they're a little bit of a one trick pony. Um, not that they, they're not great things to learn. And, you know, my kids love a greasy burger every once in a while. So they're not, they're not getting the greasy burger at Beck's prime. So, you know, we'll, we'll dabble and go to other places. And, um, you know, I think they're doing what they intend to do very well. So, you know, I love a concept that is intentional in everything that they're, you know, doing, whether it's, you know, all the things I just mentioned, you know, every detail is sort of paid attention to. And so it's hard to do all of those things really well. And I would argue we don't. Um, sometimes we do them better than others, but, um, you know, it's, I think you're just, you have to be constantly learning. Our customers though, don't like us to change anything. We took the crackers off of our salad 
And it was like, there was a revolt going on with our customers. I mean, just so upset about the, you know, soda crackers that are not that special. But I think that's one thing that we've evolved our menu over time. And if people like what we're serving, we will, you know, add it permanently to the menu. Um, People come in though, and they customize it's something like 50 or 60% of the people who come in our doors, customize something about their meal. And I think they like, and have liked for a long time that it's not embarrassing at Bex Prime to customize what you want. It's, it's almost expected. And so if you want to come in and say, you know, I want two pieces of bacon, mustard on the top, prime sauce on the bottom. And I want to, put a hot dog in that sandwich instead of a burger. And we're like, you know, they're typing away and it's, it's okay. And, you know, most of the time it comes out exactly uh, as our customers like, and if it doesn't bring it back to the counter and we will fix it. Um, but I just, you know, I think that's, you know, Bex does that well and always has, and our customers expect us to keep doing that really well. So we better not change a darn thing. Let me just sort of ask you about kind of the current state of Bex. Um, you recently closed your Heights location. You sold the building to a developer. Do you have future locations in mind? Uh, do you think you'll come back to the Heights? Like what, what is kind of the, the maybe the, say, two-year plan for, for Bex? So I think one of the, and we're always going to be opportunistic, um, real estate in the city has just, blown up. It's, it's hard to uh, buy or lease a piece of real estate right now where you can justify putting a burger joint on it, you know, even a high-end one. And, you know, so we got an offer on the Heights and we were like, yeah, we're going to take that. Um, and and I don't mean to imply that it wasn't fair. I just think, you know, real estate has appreciated pretty fast. I think we know right now that we will never do another restaurant without having a drive-through. Um, the percentage of our business, even pre, you know, pandemic was very, I mean, we were, we were fortunate in the sense that we pivoted even further to the pickup delivery drive-through model. And as people are busier and faster and, you know, you've got both partners and relationships working to afford you know, lifestyle, it's, you know, fewer and fewer people have the luxury of staying home and not working. And in all of that creates a world where people are eating faster and they want to eat better food. They know that better food is out there. There's so many concepts um, that fit that fast casual, you know, it used to be fast food or sit down casual and fine dining. There's now this whole new um, lane of market that that really meets, that's why we see the growth there is um, people want good food, but they want it fast and conveniently. They want it delivered where they want to eat it. They want to drive through. I mean, it's just fast. And I think if we could ever get to a um, even not faster concept, but, you know, really meet the customer where they are with potential of a very reduced menu. I think that's something that we would consider and we've started to explore that process. I mean, it's hard and we've taken on some other projects as well. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about those other projects. Let's start with the chocolate bar. I I guess I didn't realize until relatively recently that 
that y'all had acquired that somewhere along the way. How long has the chocolate bar been part of the company and, and kind of what, what is the status of it? Because, you know, again, you, you just, you closed a Montrose location, the original location, um, and you've still got the location in Rice Village. So I, I, I know there's some, some curiosity about kind of where that concept is right now. Well, some of that we're still keeping a secret because we've got really exciting plans and we're working hard on it. We actually didn't officially take over, you know, acquiring it and owning it. We took over the management for a couple of years with the intent of seeing what we could do with it. See, you know, it's a 20 year old brand. How do we, how do we clean it up and reinvent it and, you know, think about what's next and that process was really slowed down by COVID um, for a dessert shop. I think what we also learned during the pandemic was that people still like, um, you know, booze and desserts and chocolates. And I call it the ability to take a mini vacation during the pandemic. We weren't taking big vacations, but we've taken a lot of mini vacations. And going to the chocolate bar is a place that you can do that with a family, get some ice cream. You could walk out and eat outside um, or take it home. So, you know, Chocolate Bar, I think in many ways, we were really fortunate to pivot and get really into the delivering to-go business. Um, I love the Chocolate Bar. I mean, when people walk in there, it sort of excites all of their senses. It's a place where in many ways, we're selling a happy moment with everything we're doing. And so, you know, we're going to grow it. We're going to open more locations. we're probably going to do more creativity and invent more, but Eric, more to come very soon. I promise. (laughs) Yeah. Again, you know, by, you know, for, for many years, you know, chocolate turkeys from the chocolate bar are a part of my family's Thanksgiving. You know, that's really important. And, and we've now. Order soon, Eric, order soon. We've, we've, that is picking up and those are not easy. (laughs) We'll send you one. Actually, Eric, for you, we'll send you one. Well, you know, my, you know, now my sisters have children. And so we're, we're now on our second generation of that tradition, right? Like we don't, like, I don't get a chocolate turkey for Thanksgiving anymore, but my, my nieces and nephews sure, sure seem to like them. So that's so good. I'm glad to hear that, that that is uh, going to be maintained. And then, you know, let me, let me ask you about Agnes because you know, we hadn't really met in person until you sort of announced this new cafe that you've opened in Boulevard Oaks. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't really had a chance to talk to you about it since it opened. So, so let me just, so maybe for people who, who maybe missed the culture map article or haven't been in yet, kind of how did that get started and and how's it going? So Agnes is going great. It uh, definitely has been a labor of love. I am an extrovert, which you probably figured out, Eric. And I missed, I missed community and connection and I was obsessed with it. And I have lived in the neighborhood around Agnes, which is at the corner of Bissonnette and Shepherd. And we, we've never, the whole neighborhood, we all, I mean, I saw neighbors, met neighbors, met dogs. We walked like COVID, we walked. That was, that was a bit of our hobby and so I would walk by um, the space and look inside 
especially with a good friend of mine, Allison, and and she's kind of set, kept prodding me and said, "What are you? Gonna, you got to do something with this. We need we need this neighborhood cafe." And another close friend of mine, Carolyn. Um, I love to eat Carolyn's food. It's it, she's hands down one of the best um, cooks and cook nerds out there. I mean, she is an incredibly well self-taught. Um, she doesn't like me to call her a chef, but I do. And, uh, and truly amazing. And I, I called her and I said, Hey, Carolyn, you want to open a restaurant? And I, she says she paused. I don't think she paused at all. And she said, sure. So that was, we, we birthed, um, Agnes. It was our, our puppy and our COVID baby. And incredible experience, hard opening a restaurant's really hard. And we hired, um, a professional chef, Rom, and, you know, we opened Agnes in June and we're really proud of it. And it's so much fun to see everyone starting to come in there and use Agnes for what they want, a morning coffee, breakfast with a, you know, a work meeting, um, people are coming in for lunch and, you know, dinner business is growing and growing. And, you know, Saturday night, we had so many people out on our patio, you know, drinking cocktails and coffee till, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. It's just, it's so fun to drive by and, and see people reconnecting. It's just been great. I mean, it, it did feel like the right kind of neighborhood focused, slightly elevated food and it meets a lot of needs, right? Because you've got kind of grab and go and, you know, prepared items too. So, you know, for people who are still primarily dining at home, I think, you know, it's more convenient to go into a grocery store. I, I just, I think it checks a lot of boxes for people. It checks a lot of boxes. And, you know, a couple of days ago, I said, I had a friend call and say, hey, can you guys put together a, you know, grab and go cheese board snack kit for me for this event. I've got a bunch of lawyers coming over and, and that was really fun. And we could do that with our, you know, retail grocery selections. And, you know, I was like, yeah, you want wine as well. We'll just give you the party at home and um, happy hour kit. And, you know, and I'm like, Oh, I didn't, I would never have thought that might be a way that our customers would use us. You know, they're as inventive as, as we are sometimes. When let me let me bring you back into this. I mean, what was it like for you when Molly said, "I'm going to open a, a non Bex Prime restaurant"? Or what was your reaction? I guess is a better question. Well, uh, you know, I'm all for diversity. You know, diversifying our portfolio, so to speak. I eat Agnes chocolate bar, you name it. Uh, it's, it's not a lot different than the stock market. You know, if you're opening a number of restaurants, some inevitably, unfortunately, will probably fail. We've had our share. Uh, so the idea is, is to do more than one. And if you can do them in different concepts, all the better, because uh, when times are tough for one particular concept, they may be that much better for the other. Uh, I actually had dinner there last night with Molly's mom. You know, I mean, uh, I like the location. I worried a little about the parking, but the parking, you know, we have the extra parking lot about four doors to the west, which helps. Uh, and a lot of people are walking. They're walking and riding their bikes. I mean, when when Molly's mom and I were parking last night, 
two or three people came walking down Bissonette and came in for dinner. So I like it a lot, you know, and I'm all in favor of her doing whatever she wants to do. <laughs> you know, of course, the problem, the problem with that is I get task lists from her of my responsibility and the other hundred items I'm supposed to do as well. We are both truthfully at the moment terribly overcommitted. I mean, we have so much going on between Chocolate Bar and Agnes and Bex and upgrading point of sale and converting our accounting systems that it is mind boggling. But uh, but we're just working at it, trying to get it done. My dad was out of town for a little while this summer and I, I sent him a text that said, please come home uh, with the intent of, hey, I need you. And I, I, you know, those hours working with my dad are precious to me. So with all that said, it sounds, I mean, has opening a new restaurant given you the bug? Do you, do you have other concepts in mind that you would like to do? Or are you kind of holding the line for right now? Oh, I think I have one sort of related to Bex that I think we're all excited about. And, you know, we hope to get to one day here soon. Um, right now, it's not taking up any mind share other than the way, way back file in my, in my brain. And I think all of our management team brain and, you know, I'm, we're fortunate to have a great group of, you know, HR director and operators and accountants. And, you know, our team can support all of these uh, concepts as we, you know, choose to grow them, which having that backbone, you know, for me and our team gives us the ability to dream up what's next. Um, because we've got a platform to do it from. So it's just a huge advantage. We actually know what's next. We just, we just haven't found a location to put one. <laughs> Look, see uh, how ready what? he is, Eric. <laughs> he's, yeah, he, he said, right. Uh, two minutes ago, he said he's overcommitted. And then the next, he, he says yeah, right, he, right. he's got a new restaurant to open. I, yeah. I, mean, well, I mean, we have the menu figured out. We got the whole deal. It's a, we haven't designed the building totally, but, but we're, you know, we're not going to publicize it, but when we get a chance, we're going to do the first one, but it will probably be post a few chocolate bars. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll look for chocolate bars and then we'll start pestering you about this, this new future concept. Uh, do you want to give us a hint or are you going to keep it under your hat? No, I'm going to keep it under my hat. <laughs> we'll call you. <laughs> Perfect. That's that's all I want to hear. And we'll come back. We'll do a whole new podcast on it. How about that? That sounds great. All right. Well, let me let me say this does. I, I know we're running a little bit long. Is there anything you want to discuss that I haven't asked you about? I, I want to ask you a question. I mean, I know you've eaten at Kirby. Uh, but have you eaten at other locations? Yes, I I have eaten at. Well, I used to work many years ago. I worked downtown. So I've been to the location of the tunnels. And then I have, I, I mean, my my favorite location is the one on Westheimer because it has that giant oak tree with the huge patio. That is my, I, I'd yeah. say that is my personal favorite. And there's a Sugar Land location right on Highway 6. Right, there is. And, and you know, the, the, one, the, the one at Westheimer and Augusta was the second store with the oak tree. Uh, you know, and actually, you know, they had survey markers out there when we bought that property 
and, and I was out there walking around inspecting it shortly thereafter. And there was a fellow up in the tree, right? And, and he was totally upset and yelling at me that he was going to come back with 200 people the next day. And he wasn't going to let us cut down that tree. And he just couldn't believe that, that we were considering that. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can get down out of the tree. We're not going to cut the tree down. And he, he was shocked. He said, you're not. I said, no, we bought this property because we like that tree and we're going to incorporate it into our, into our restaurant. So, so that, that store, that, that building is actually 18 inches off the ground. The deck has no holes in the ground other, underneath it. It's all on feet. That drive-through is all hand-laid pavers with aeration pipes, all to preserve that tree. So we do have one in Sugarland too. And in fact, in Sugarland, we moved 14 live oaks in a week to preserve them. The largest one weighed 65,000 pounds and Davy Tree did it for us. And they used uh, a 210 ton crane and 18 wheelers to relocate five of them. And they used the largest tree spade in the world to do the other nine. And that was an interesting process too. So we got to put those trees right where we wanted them for that restaurant. So, Eric, I have one question for you. I know, I know you, you probably are ready to kick us off. What do you like to eat at Beck's? What do you like to eat at Chocolate Bar? And what do you, what, what do you, do you like most at Agnes? All right. So I, my, my Beck's order is extremely boring. I get a basic hamburger and a side of fries and a soda. And every now and then, like once a year, I'll get a steak sandwich. <laughs> and, and there's all kinds of like, I've never had an actual steak. I, I probably had the grilled chicken, but it's probably been forever. You sent me, um, I think a BP burger. That was the first time I'd ever had that. It's just like, I, I didn't, this is such a bizarre thing to sort of admit publicly on a podcast, but I grew up in a kosher home. So I didn't grow up eating cheeseburgers by default. And although I have come to embrace them as an adult, I am also in some ways a creature of habit with restaurants that I've been eating at for as long as I've been eating at Beck's. So my order is very, very much the same every time and very boring. And then at the chocolate bar, it's mostly ice cream, occasionally a cake. um, And then like a chocolate bar, like, like milk chocolate with, with some sort of nuts in it, you know, or like, or the strawberries, the strawberries are great. They're, they're, they're gigantic and those are super fun. And then at Agnes, I still haven't been in for dinner yet. Uh, I need to fix that, but that, um, that kebab is really good. Yeah. We're selling a lot of chicken and steak kebabs. Yeah. And the lamb burger is fantastic. Yeah. Well, we, we know how to make a burger, fortunately. And I, our Mike Knapp wins original partner with steak and out we make a great steak and potatoes. I mean, he knows how to do that better than anyone, but he helped us with the lamb burger as well. Very opinionated, which was great. Well, steak and ale was such a destination for prime rib. It's like, <laughs> you know, find, find a way to put that on a menu somewhere as like a special or whether it's at Agnes or at Bex or whatever, I'll, I'll be in for prime rib whenever you want, you know, prime <laughs> rib and a baked potato. It's a fast way to my heart. We need to send you a steak. 
if you yeah. haven't eaten our, I mean, our steaks are as good or better. I actually think they're better because they're cooked over mesquite than any anybody in town. All right, I will take you up on that. Uh, before I let y'all go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Man, let me start with you. What is your favorite burger topping? My favorite burger is the TKO burger, which is off the menu. It is chili, cheese, onions, prime sauce, and hickory sauce. I'm going to try that the next time I go to bed. Let me tell you, and it's messy. It's like Bill's Burger. Bill's Burger. We sell a lot of Bill's Burgers, but the TKO Burger at Golf's, they had a burger called the B&B Combination. That's what it was. Chili, cheese, onions, prime sauce, and hickory sauce. Molly, how about you? What's your favorite burger on the Beck's menu? I could eat prime sauce with anything. And I think you asked favorite topping. And so that was. I did. Yeah. Prime sauce with my fries, prime sauce on my burgers, on my chicken, prime sauce on anything. All right. Molly, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Michael Jackson. It's a great answer. I took her to the Astrodome. To the Victory Tour. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Yeah. With, with the with the Jackson Five, right? The whole family. No, it was. I thought it was at Hobby, Dan, and it was. He had on the silver no, glove. No, it wasn't Hobby. It was. Uh, it was at the dome. The, yeah. Think. Well, if it? if it was the one at the dome, that I was there too. That that's why I'm asking. Yeah. It was a bunch of young women, very young. Lots <laughs> <laughs> of good. Um, when? How about you? Uh, I went and saw the Stones at NR, the Rolling Stones at NRG. Not your first. No, your oh, first concert. Oh my God. I think it was, uh, you know, the Grateful Dead was in Telluride, but actually the first uh, was the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band in Aspen. That's a great answer. All right. When, what is your non Bex Prime fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive thru. <laughs> I know which one. It has to come from a restaurant with a drive thru. I can, oh. How about non-drive-thru? No, that's how I define whether something is fast food or not. If it has a well, drive-thru, it's Queen, fast food. Eric, he would say the Dairy Queen vanilla soft serve, which his dog likes one as well. Those <laughs> <laughs> so have drive-thrus, that counts. Do they have well, we have to get one for the dog or you lose the one that's in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, how about you? Oh, um... Has to be in the drive-thru. I, you know, I'm probably actually partial to an Oreo Blizzard as well at Dairy Queen. Yeah, they're pretty good. All right. <laughs> when, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, Nolan Ryan. Molly, how about you? Uh, Akeem Olajuwon. He used to come into Bex and eat five swordfish sandwiches with ketchup, and I just remember. I mean, we were here when those you know the rockets won the championships so it was just too much fun all right and molly finally when you go to a pizzeria for the first time what are your go-to toppings oh i love canadian bacon and pineapple with ranch sauce on the side i love it <laughs> when what do you get on your pizzas oh i get uh, pepperoni and hamburger and onions and jalapenos all right Molly, give us the website and the social media and all that for Bex Prime. BexPrime.com and same for, for Instagram. 
All right. Well, thank you both very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you, we'll see you under the tree. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk soon. Love it. Bye. We have a steak dinner for lunch. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.